This is the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. This is where it all counts. This is why we're here. This is why each one of us are here. And now, here's your host. Welcome back to another edition of the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. I am Paul Pertichese and excited to be joined on the other side this evening by Mr. Jeff Abercrombie. Jeff, welcome back. We missed you the last couple weeks. Yeah, thanks, Paul. Um, Ashley and I did our... Uh... Christmas travel early this year and probably prudent with the way COVID's going out in the world. And now we're home for Christmas and, you know, ready to uh, rough week 15 for my fantasy team. So I'm going to start having a lot more free time to dig into film. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. I mean, definitely, you know, sports in general is obviously being ravaged by, you know, COVID right now and, Fantasy football, it's really just going to be a battle of attrition, to be honest with you, in terms of who's, you know, less impacted, I think, in the playoffs. I don't think it's really going to be who's the most talented teams in, in any of your playoff leagues this year. It's it's really going to be who's got the most healthy bodies of functional players. It, it sure seems like it, you know, and this is kind of like a little bit of a lull in the in the pre-draft process, right? You know, the bowl games just are getting kicking off, you know, the beginning of this week, you know, so there hasn't been much in the college football world to talk about. But here, I thought it was a good opportunity to, we haven't talked about the upcoming Senior Bowl much yet. Obviously, when we're much closer to it, we'll do a full, you know, Senior Bowl preview. But, you know, the accepted invites have been pouring in. And there's a lot of things that are really interesting stand out. So I figured we'll start there. We'll talk a little bit about the Senior Bowl, some things that we're looking forward to seeing, some of the guys who could maybe use it to kind of springboard, you know, their pre-draft process and maybe see their stock rise. And then we'll do a little bit of an NFL rookie report, a couple of things I want to pick your brain on. And then we'll close with a uh, dynasty fantasy report. Uh, I know I spent yesterday making some pretty significant changes to my, you know, positional overall dynasty rankings. So I'll run some of those significant movements uh, by you and we can have a little bit of a discussion there as well. So let's jump right into it at the quarterback position you know, it's a really interesting group because right now there's five people who have accepted invites and they are Kenny Pickett out of Pittsburgh, Carson Strong out of Nevada, Malik Willis out of Liberty, and Desmond Ritter out of Cincinnati, and Bailey Zapp out of Western Kentucky. Honestly, I don't remember the last time that basically – four out of the top six quarterback prospects. So I think when push comes to shove, in no particular order, Ritter, Willis, Pickett, Strong, and then you're going to, you know, you're going to add into the mix Sam Howell and Matt Corral. I think those are going to be the the top six quarterbacks probably taken in the NFL draft. Four of them are going to be there. We'll see if anybody else kind of ends up, you know, going to the senior bowl. So I'm really intrigued by the quarterback position more than usual. Sometimes, you know, you know, that year we had Josh Allen and Baker Mayfield was really exciting. But I think this is a real big opportunity for Ritter, uh, Malik Willis, you know, Kenny Pickett and Carson Strong that for them to really impress, especially, you know, the the quarterbacks who are going to, you know, get a lot of opportunity to work with the coaches there you know, to try to sell themselves as being a leader, being a face of the franchise. So I I think a bunch of these guys could really use the senior bowl to maybe catapult their draft stock. Matt and I already are on record saying Desmond Ritter has an amazing opportunity on New Year's Eve, you know, in the spotlight, you know, of, of 
facing Alabama, if he plays well there, even if they lose, but if he plays well there, then he goes to the senior bowl, plays well there. You know, I think early second round could be in the mix for Desmond Ritter. And obviously Malik Willis is going to be a big opportunity, you know, from a small school performing against much higher level of competition. I think Kenny Pickett's stock is, is been soaring all year. So I'm not sure if the senior bowl could make it go even higher. And then I think Carson Strong, I think there was a report by Ian Rappaport this week that, uh, there's people in the NFL circles that are much higher on Carson Strong than maybe the public perception that he could be another guy that maybe is in that day two mix. So, Jeff, any thoughts on the fact that we have four legitimate, maybe top 50 prospects uh, who are going to be down there in Mobile at the quarterback position? Yeah, it's it's really fascinating, especially this year when – it just feels like everything's so up in the air with these quarterback prospects too on where they may go in the draft. And we've talked about that all year. It's, it's sort of a preference of what teams are going to be looking for and they get to work with them hands-on. So, you know, when you get to work with Malik Willis and coach him and, and try to instill some concepts and um, see how he responds to, you know, your, your different, uh, you know, you're different working together and, and, and kind of, does he, does he feel like he could fit into a growth opportunity in your team? I mean, that's fascinating. Right. And that could either, I mean, that could have him give teams all the confidence they need, or I mean, that, that might be a reason he might tumble behind some guys like strong and Ritter who, again, you know, working with coaches hand, um, you know, right in front of them and, and, you know, being able to kind of stack themselves up against Malik Willis, you know, maybe make a, maybe show that on a, on a same playing field that they might be able to make more of a case um, that they can bring more to a football team to the coaches that are, are there and responding. And I really think this is something where, I mean, Kenny Pickett stock has been soaring all year and it's been phenomenal. And and it's not like he, I mean, he kind of came out of nowhere, but his, his tape was still, it still showed this type of promise. He's just put it all together in a really consistent manner. And this is one of those ones where, again, um, he, he strikes me as one of those ones where a coach is going to get really comfortable and take him early. Like there, this is going to be, can he be in a top 10 pick? Yeah. I, I think where, if I had to take a guess right now, I think we're on the fast track to see Matt Corral and Kenny Pickett go in the top 10. I think they're going in the top 10, top 12. I think Willis is the wild card. I think he can go somewhere mid to late round one. Uh, I think Ritter and Strong and Sam Howell are literally could be anywhere from that late round one to late round two mix. I do think it's possibility that even in a year that we said is kind of a down year, I still think we might have six quarterbacks go in the first 60 picks or 64 picks, whatever you want to say, uh, because I do think teams are going to be intrigued by some of these guys and say, you know what? Maybe not top of the draft, right? We talked about those teams towards the top of the draft that might need a quarterback that they might not just see it as can't miss when there's great offensive line prospects and great edge prospects, but I could maybe see them take a shot in, in the top of round two. So I think the top of round two for some quarterback needy teams could be really interesting and it's possible when you're talking about top of the second round quarterback needy teams, that also means they could jump into the late first round, right? That 50 year option is pretty valuable to lock that in for a quarterback prospect. 
So I think that's where there's going to be some intrigue. The Ritters, the the Strongs, the Howells, if Willis falls at all. You know, I think Pickett and, and, and Corral are going to end up in that top 10, top 12 range. But I think those next four guys, it, it's going to kind of be a little bit, you know, intriguing to kind of see how they fall. And I think the pre-draft process really could help sort it out a little bit, especially for the NFL teams. And, you know, you look at a guy like Carson Strong, and, yeah, for a while we were like, you know, it doesn't really fit the, the modern-day profile, more of a traditional pocket-passing quarterback. But you know what? Mac Jones, and I, again, Mac Jones could be an outlier. You know, the intangibles were always through the roof for him, Alabama, all that stuff. But the fact that a more of a traditional pocket passing quarterback has came in and has been the most successful of all those guys last year could open the door for, for other more traditional pocket passing quarterbacks to maybe be viewed differently than kind of like the wave was taking it away from them. I could, we could see teams being like more open to be like, listen, look what Mac Jones has done. Maybe we don't need that mobile guy. If we have a really guy who knows how to play the position, can get for his progressions, knows what to do with the football, has the arm talent to make any throw that we ask of him. If strong kind of suits that and fits that profile to some NFL teams, maybe, you know, the report by, by rap sheet saying that, you know, inside NFL circles, he's got a lot more, he's got a lot of, more fans than maybe the public perception, you know, maybe strong could be one of those guys that surprises a little bit. So I'm really intrigued with the senior role. I think it's going to be a great opportunity to kind of see these guys all in the same setting. I think it's going to be a great opportunity to see Malik Willis, you know, obviously this is going to be a huge opportunity for him. Can he show that, you know, on this level playing against that type of opponents, he could rise to the occasion could be the difference of whether or not he goes in the top 15 and he's more with the corral and pickets of the world, or is he more of a question mark, great athletic, great arm talent, but not sure about the other stuff. And all of a sudden he's thrown into the mix with Sam Howell and Ritter and strong as more of a a day two guy. So I think this is going to be a really big week for Malik Willis could ultimately determine whether or not he's round one or day two. Obviously we know that's a huge difference financially in terms of opportunity, how long his leash is. So it's going to be a big week uh, for for these quarterbacks. Any final thoughts, Jeff, on the quarterbacks before uh, I kind of run through some running backs that we're going to see down there? I think you summed it up well. And we, we talk a lot about the modern NFL quarterback, but that doesn't mean that other, you mentioned Mac Jones, but you know, I think other names coming to mind where, you know, Matt Ryan, Matt Stafford, you know, it's these teams can still build around, you know, more traditional pocket style quarterbacks. It's just a different type of offense and and a different type of skill set. And, you know, if you're a good enough coach, you can do that. And I actually thought like, you know, as far as a team that might need to pick a quarterback, but might not be in the right position to do it this year, you know, Atlanta, like strong to Atlanta in round two might actually be a really fascinating one. Um, because I actually think, you know, he could step in behind Matt Ryan and actually, you know, they keep a little bit of continuity in, uh, Arthur's the way, what Arthur Smith is doing there. Yeah, I think, I think that's a great thing. And, and that's one of those things I was talking about. Those, those top of the second round, I think there's going to be some really intriguing teams that might dabble in the quarterback market and attacking other positions of need, you know, in round one. So it's going to be fun to watch. Uh, down in Mobile, the running back position needs are the following running backs who have accepted their invites. 
Damian Pierce out of Florida, Devante Price out of Florida International, Abram Smith out of Baylor, Rashad White out of Arizona State. We talked about him a couple weeks ago when you were on air with me. James Cook out of Georgia. Matt and I talked about him a lot two weeks ago. Brian Robinson out of Alabama and Hassan Haskins out of Michigan. Definitely senior bowl running backs usually don't pique a lot of interest because the truth be told is a lot of times, you know, big time running backs don't make it to their senior year of college, right? We just don't see a lot of top running backs stay for all four years. But I do, I am intrigued by a handful of names or at least three names on this list intrigue me, maybe even four. The first one is Devontae Price out of Florida International. I watched him before the season started. He's written up in the scouting notebook. I came away thinking he had a late date for regrade, but this is going to be an opportunity to kind of see them there. Things like question marks that I had with him was, you know, he just didn't seem like he was a guy who could do much in the passing game. Well, senior bowls practices in particular, he's going to get an opportunity to see, is it one of those things that Florida International just didn't use him in that way? Or is it something he's incapable of doing? That's a big deal. I don't think he's much of a change of direction, elusive, you know, cutting type of guy. I think he's going to be more of a power, physical, you know, good leg drive, contact balance, stuff like that. But I think this will be an opportunity to kind of, is he, we're talking late day three UDFA, or is he got a chance to be, you know, around four, round five guy to give him a much better opportunity, maybe to, you know, have a more prolonged career in the NFL. So I think him coming up from Florida International, I think it is interesting to watch. Uh, the other ones are White, as we talked about. I think him and James Cook are the two that I'm going to be most intrigued with because we've been talking about him here at Saturday to Sunday throughout, you know, and I think those are two guys that are going to see their stock rise because I think they fit more of the modern day NFL running back that you can line up out of the backfield and run wide receiver routes. You can do a lot of things where, you know, they're more offensive weapon and can be used in a variety of ways than true traditional running back. But I think that's what adds to the intrigue of both white and cook. Matt and I were on a record a couple of weeks ago, said that we think James Cook's going to be a better pro than his, you know, college running back mate, you know, Zamir white. And think about like in the Debbie community, that would sound like blasphemy over the last couple of years when Zamir white was constantly being rated higher than him. But I think what James Cook profiles at the next level is going to be more intriguing to NFL teams. I think he's a guy who's going to be able to play a versatile offensive weapon role, and he can get him in space, you know, spread out the field, run him out of draws, stuff like that. But then he can be a good receiver too. And, you know, Matt and I, again, we didn't, we, we're not saying he's going to be this guy, but once upon a time we had a conversation about Tennessee not knowing how to properly value and utilize Alvin Kamara. I kind of feel like James Cook got lost in the shuffle in Georgia. And Georgia wanted to be like this power running team, great defense. And James Cook just didn't fit that profile. They always had somebody who kind of fit that profile better. But I think the NFL, and if he gets with a good offensive coordinator, is going to look at James Cook and be really intrigued. And I'll put Rashad White with that. I think he's another guy very similar to James Cook that you're going to be talking if they don't sneak into the top 100, like round four, I think I think it's going to be the sweet spot for these guys. And I think NFL teams are going to be very intrigued by bringing this guy in. It's not going to be the lead back. Maybe he could work his way into part of a committee, but I think he's going to. they're going to have roles and they're going to become parts of the offense that could be offensive playmakers and be dynamite weapons in an offense at the next level. So I'm intrigued by those guys. Then obviously Brian Robinson, you know, we watch him a ton with Alabama, you know, 
he's a guy who I think will go somewhere around four to round six, but he's going to be a guy who could be part of a committee, short yardage, physical, tough runner. He's got some decent straight line speed for a guy his size. And then we'll see if Hassan Haskins can keep that momentum going of, the, you know, of that monster game he put up a couple of weeks ago against Ohio State. We'll see how he does in the playoff against Georgia. Obviously, the sledding will be much tougher in that one, uh, we, we would assume. But can he kind of ride that late season momentum that he had and, and see if he can kind of elevate his draft stock? Because he was not somebody that was on a lot of people's radars uh, for most of this year in terms of NFL capital. I don't really have much to add. Uh, Haskins, like you said, is is one name that jumped out mostly because of what he's done lately this month. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, really Brian Robinson is, is sort of the best back at the Senior Bowl. You know, he's had a pretty good year. Again, it's it, if we're talking about what they profile on the NFL level and, and maybe from a fantasy lens, what their impact might be, he might not really fit, you know, a particular fantasy impact player, just kind of like a, a depth piece. But, you know, we could talk then about James Cook and Rashad White. And like you said, what what do they bring to a team? And it, it's sort of what they're going to get drafted at, but also just how are they used at during senior bowl practice, right? Do they a, a little bit like Antonio Gibson or a little bit like um, like these other these other sort of tweener prospects? There, it's not just play like you said. They're going to be playmakers, so they're going to be stacked up against playmakers with more of like the wide receiver bent as well, too. And and are they going to run drills with them? How do they stack up there? If you're drafting them as an offensive weapon, you know how do they fit? as an offensive weapon um, or are they used as a running back or like a change of pace back? And, and just what, what are they doing there? How are they being used? How, you know, how are they running through practice? What are people saying about, you know, what's jumping out on um, off the field when they're there uh, during practice? Yeah. And then, I mean, like you said, it's really hard to, evaluate running backs like besides watching them run the pass route you know the pass routes and and out of the backfield catching it's a lot it's almost impossible to gather anything from the practices so to me the running backs i'm more intrigued by the actual game i know for most positions it's more like the practices carry more weight than anything else but besides running backs like showing their receiving ability you can't really gather much from senior bowl practices for the running back. So I'm always intrigued most on game day in terms of the running backs, because I think that's the one opportunity we actually get to see a running back do some things that are similar to what they would be asked to do, you know, at the next level where the practices are more geared towards the receivers and the DBs and the one-on-one drills or, or the old line and blocking. We do get to see a little bit about running backs in terms of pass protection a little bit. So that's something that I know NFL teams obviously value tremendously. Uh, for sure. So if we if we take this over to the pass catchers at the wide receiver position, these are the guys who've already accepted their invites. Bo Melton out of Rutgers, Trey Turner out of Virginia Tech, Danny Gray out of SMU, Reggie Robertson Jr. out of SMU, Romeo Dobbs out of Nevada, Jalen Tolbert out of South Alabama, Khalil Shakir out of Boise State. I did a full deep dive on him last week. Jahan Dotson out of Penn State, Alec Pierce out of Cincinnati. Avelis Jones Jr. out of Tennessee, Dontario Drummond out of Ole Miss, and Calvin Austin III out of Memphis. Jeff, is there one thing, one guy on there that, that kind of jumps out at you that, that you're more most intrigued about him being down there? Well, I mean, aside from Dotson being the the kind of the marquee name there, 
I, I mean, there's always a little bit of a soft spot for Reggie Roberson um, and him, but I, I'm going to kind of lump them in with like Jalen Tolbert there. Um, and, and you mentioned him, Khalil Shakir. I didn't get a chance to listen to your breakdown on him either. So maybe I'll come with, uh, to his tape pretty fresh myself, but all these guys, this, the smaller schools, how are they stacking up here? You know, this is like a Cooper cup kind of thing, right? Where, you know, you start to, you, you, there's one of these guys start to catch an eye and make waves and, um, and, and really elevate their draft stock from the late rounds into potentially day two. Uh, level prospects and ones that teams fall in love with and try to make a uh, a plan and a development path to integrate them into their office over offense over time. So th- those are kind of the names. Those are the three names there that um, I- I'd maybe put my chips behind to, to if I had to bet. You know which which ones are going to start kind of popping, but it, it could be you know anybody from that list. We'll, we'll just have to pay attention. Yeah, and I will say this. I, I do kind of think it's for considering the wide receiver class is a phenomenal, the, the strongest offensive position by far in terms of the skill positions. I do feel like the senior bowl list right now in terms of wide receivers is probably as weak as I remember it since I've been covering the senior bowl, like pretty in depth here with Saturday to Sunday. Yeah, I know Dotson is the headliner and he's probably round one, but you know, Roberson's probably round three, round four, you know, Romeo Dobbs, same thing, round three, round four, Jalen Turbert, probably somewhere in day three, Shakir, probably same thing. It's a, it's a pretty lackluster wide receiver group, which is kind of surprising considering the strength of the position as a whole. And then maybe there's still some more guys that could pop up there, you know, but right now I definitely am intrigued with the same guys. Obviously I think Dotson is going to shine. He's going to be almost uncoverable in the one-on-one drills, I think Shakir, his route running and his movement capabilities is going to find a lot of success in the in the one in the one on ones versus DBs. Uh, Roberson is a guy who I've liked since the summer. He intrigues me. I think for Dobbs and Tolbert, it's going to be really interesting to kind of see against a little bit better competition than what they're used to with South Alabama and Nevada. I'm going to kind of be intrigued to see how they fare in the one on ones against maybe some of the top level defensive backs in the country. Because I do think those are two guys that can kind of see their stock rise a little bit. And if they perform well here, it could be that little springboard that I was talking about in terms of them seeing their draft stock improve. But I got to be honest with you, you know, obviously here at Saturday Sunday, we're a small operation. We, we, we play the catch up game on, on smaller prospects and stuff that we haven't watched. There's a handful of guys on this list that I got to get eyes on before the senior bowl. And before we do the senior bowl preview show, because I, I don't have much on Bo Melton. I don't have much on Danny Gray. I don't have much on, on Velas Jones, the, the Ontario Drummond, you know, Calvin Austin There's a handful of guys here that I got to watch some film on because these just have not been guys that have been on the radar. If we're talking 30 wide receivers that I watched prior to the season starting in terms of draft eligible guys, another couple of guys since the season started, there's a handful of guys on this list that were not on that radar. So that's where it's usually surprising. Usually from all the guys that we write up for the scouting notebook, like usually most of the senior bowl wide receivers are coming off of guys that I've already watched film email. And on this list, it's more like a handful of guys have been on my list out of 30, 35 names of guys I've watched. And there's a whole bunch that are not on that list. So I think that makes it a really unique 
uh, maybe to some diamonds in the rough year who've, who've really emerged this year. So I'm kind of excited over the next couple of weeks to, to kind of get some eyes on, on some of these wide receivers who, you know, I'm, I'm playing the catch up game to there. So it's going to be fun process there. If we take this to the tight end position, Grant Calcaterra out of SMU, great story after retiring for almost a year and a half, I think, to come back. We've talked about him on air. You know, I, I'm really intrigued by him. Jake Ferguson out of Wisconsin never lived up to, I think, the expectations that people put on him from when he was like a redshirt sophomore. People thought he was maybe going to come out and be a high pick. I think he's more of a day free guy. Cole Turner out of Nevada. Trey McBride out of Colorado State, who many people have in, in, the, in the mix to be one of the first three tight ends taken. Many people think he could be number two, you know, after uh, Jalen Wedemeyer, uh, Charlie Kolar out of Iowa state, you know, he started the year, you know, regarded as maybe the second or third, and he's kind of taking a step or two back. Connor Hayward out of Michigan state, Isaiah likely out of coastal Carolina, small school guy. I'm really intrigued by his pass catching ability. Jeremy Ruckert out of Ohio state, big time recruit, uh, it's always been more promise than production, and he never really put it together. He had some flashes, so we'll see if he could be one of those guys that, you know, better pro career than college career. Jeremiah Hall out of Oklahoma, Daniel Bellinger out of San Diego State. Jeff, any, anything from the tight end position? Is there is there a guy on that list that you're like, I'm interested to hear what the reports are, see some practice reports, watch some practice film, and, and the game that, that you're excited about the tight end position? Uh, likely yes from likely the <laughs> the prospect yes I'm, I'm interested in him um and honestly i i really do like what the the way that Ohio, iowa state puts out their tight ends and and so i know kalar's not necessarily had you know the same tj hawkinson kind of um buzz around him but you know i it's one of those ones where you know i it's so hard to get a hit on a what the right draft profile is for a tight end that's going to break out at the next level. Like, I mean, I mean, we've kind of boiled it down to who's the most athletic and who can kind of make some pass catching and sort of go from there. But that doesn't necessarily, you know, we, we lose a lot of the, you know, George Kittle style um, players, you know, th- when we kind of only use that lens and it's really hard to, to figure out who that's going to end up being, but yeah, um, maybe some of these reports can give us some clues into who might be a good deep sleeper. Yeah, for sure. And, and I think, I think where we're headed is we're not going to have a round one tight end. I think we might have one going round two, maybe. And then I think we might see, a, a, you know, one or two guys sneak in round three. And then I think we're going to see everybody else on, on day three. I think it's a very, Weak class, it, it, you know, I like Trey McBride. I think he's a solid prospect, but, you know, we're talking about a lot of reports have him as the number two tight end in this class. Like, you know, I think he's borderline whether or not he's a top 100 prospect, you know, just comparing him to other draft classes. I think he he's right there on the, you know, he's right there relative to some other guys who went late round three, you know, round four you know, and he might be the second best tight end in this class. So I think it's just a overall down year for the position. Uh, but I'm sure some guys might be intriguing after the senior bowl, after the combine. We, you know, I feel like the tight end position kind of sometimes gives us these surprise athletic testing, right? Like no one expected George Kittle to test through the roof. And then it was like, well, what was I doing? You know, you know, so that's an interesting one. You know, and this year you mentioned, you know, Charlie Kolar out of Iowa State. 
you know, this was the guy that most people thought was going to come out last year and be a day two pick. And I think now maybe it was more public perception was higher on him than the actual NFL. And maybe he knew he wasn't going to be day two. And I, I kind of feel like he's ticketed maybe for day three now and wasn't as highly regarded in NFL circles as maybe, you know, draft Twitter thought he was. Uh, but I think he's a solid prospect. I just think some of these guys, you know, listen, the tight end position is becoming one of the hardest to evaluate because what college teams ask these guys to do is very often different than what NFL teams ask of these guys. And we know the transition is really hard. I mean, look at, you know, even Kyle Pitts this year, like, you know, we had that conversation and I, and I was on the wrong side of it. I thought he was going to really be unbelievable this year. And even him and his athletic profile, you know, has been very up and down, very inconsistent, obviously had some flash games, flash moments, but it's a hard position for sure. Uh, and he was considered one of the best, if not the best tight end prospect of all time in terms of at least pass catching. And he still hasn't hit the ground, you know, with big time production. It just shows you how hard it is to make that transition. So we'll be following this. We'll do a full senior bowl preview. We'll go a little bit more in depth. A lot of guys who I haven't had eyes on yet. We'll make sure we kind of touch upon them and at least maybe give a snapshot of who they are to kind of get you ready for the senior bowl uh, before that game kicks off late in January. So Jeff, let's turn this to the NFL rookie report. A couple things that I, I want to pick your brain on. One is urban Myers out. <laughs> What do we think, do we think this gives us some hope that maybe Jacksonville can figure it out before next year so we don't break Trevor Lawrence anymore than than right now he looks like a broken player? So that's the first thing I think we got to talk about, you know. The second thing is I'm seeing a lot of, like, big boards for next year's fantasy football season coming out, and it's starting to become universal that Javante Williams is in people's either top 12 to top 18 players. Like that's some lofty praise. And I know he's looked good in spurts, but I, I kind of wanted this. I think I talked about it with Matt a couple weeks ago, maybe when you weren't on air also. So I kind of want to ask you where you stand on just how high we should be valuing Javante Williams going into this off season and then the last thing, uh, Amon Ross St. Brown is having a late season breakout here. And it's one of those things that I feel like it's going to be really, really hard to kind of get our pulse on this. Because on one side, he had a lot of fans in the pre-draft process. I know you were a fan of his game. I know I was a fan of his game. And then I was very concerned when he fell to the, the fourth round. And there were some people that were like, I don't care. I'm still all in on him. I want to take him to the end of the second round in rookie drafts. And people were taking him, right? I was I was screaming from the hilltop. People were crazy because they were taking him ahead of Kadarius Tony and stuff like that. But now we're seeing him have some really productive games here down the stretch for, for Detroit. But it's one of those things where it's like, how do we appropriately value? Is he just right now being fed targets because they have no one? And it, he could easily fall way down the pecking order for next year and not be a number one or number two or even a number three option if they get two wide receivers and Hawkinson's there and Swift we know is great out of the backfield. Or do we look at it as he's established himself, Detroit has lots of holes, lots of weaknesses. They may look at him and at least pencil him in as the starting slot receiver next year. So, so I think 
that intrigues me. And then I was going to ask, is there a receiver or two who just hasn't lived up to what we thought this year? I have one in particular who you would be recommending as a post-rookie year buy because you still believe that there could be a big breakthrough coming, even though this year was a complete washout. I have one name in mind. We can could, we could talk about that last. So why don't we start with, 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 with Trevor and the Urban Meyer coaching change, what we think that could be. Talk a little bit about Javante Williams, and then we'll round it out with the receivers. Yeah, and with Urban Meyer being out, I think, you know, we can't forget about Travis Etienne as well and James Robinson. And, and there was a lot of, um, you know, media hype about James Robinson and Urban Meyer, you know, not gelling. And then Etienne was selected, but James Robinson's been the better player. And, you know, now now Etienne's sort of front office that picked him is, is out. And what's a new coach going to think? You know, do they go with the talent of Robinson? You know, do they go with the capital of Etienne? You know, is the GM still there? I mean, it's it's a fascinating question, um, which I really don't think ha- there's a, an answer that we can know until next August. Um, so there's going to be just a lot of uncertainty to navigate around that. As far as Trevor Lawrence goes, I mean, <laughs> you really would have liked to see a better rookie season, right? There's no way around it. Um, I don't think... Trevor Lawrence is broken and I do think he needs a lot more help, but you know, you, he was put on an Island and, you know, sort of asked to carry the entire world on his shoulders. And it just, it's too much to, to ask a rookie with no support around him to do. And, you know, that's, I get why urban Meyer was hired. I mean, I was skeptical of the, the hire when it when it happened and and it and it didn't work out you know i they they tried and it and it failed pretty spectacularly it's it's hard because the jaguars are such a bad organization and they they've been for a little while now and it's really hard to actually turn that ship around it's like a, a giant cruise ship um and I just don't think there's like a quick turnaround. So they're they're in place to do it. They have the assets to do it. I think they need they need to support Trevor Lawrence the way that Mac Jones is supported in New Orleans or uh, New England. And if they can do that, if they can get the right offensive minds, get get someone who can bring some of the the screen game and you know a, a little bit of like his comfort from Clemson and, and work that into the game and, and get him in rhythm and, and get him comfortable and get him at the NFL speed and, and then help him, you know, sprinkle in more and more of, you know, some, some NFL style plays and just bring them along. I think that's where we're going to see some, the most success. I do think Trevor Lawrence is going to figure it out. It's really kind of how soon I wouldn't have high expectations for next year but that doesn't mean he couldn't hit them. Yeah. I mean, listen, I, I think it's going to be interesting because, you know, a report came out today that I think it was Mike Tannenbaum, former GM at the Jets said that he thinks the Jaguars, I, I don't know how you can get on national TV and say, you know, they're a very desirable landing spot and 
they could turn it around really quick and make the playoffs next year. Like, I, I guess, like, I mean, anything's possible. We see teams go from last to first in the NFL, you know, all the time. But yeah, I mean, listen, I get that Trevor Lawrence adds an element to making an intriguing position for sure. But at the same time, this is a, this is a roster that it, it needs a lot of upgrades throughout, right? Mm-hmm. You know, they have question marks at all the receiver positions, you know, like Marvin Jones yeah. was, you know, mediocre. LaVisca Chenault didn't take the step that anybody expected this year. DJ Chark's coming off of an injury. You know, obviously the running back position theoretically should be okay. So this the offensive you know, line is is going to need a lot of revamping. Yeah. So there's a they need a lot of things in place. They need a good coach. They need a creative offensive mind. They need to upgrade the O line. They need to get them at least one true you know stud wide receiver. You know, there, there's a lot of things that need to go into giving him the structure that he needs to to start to live up to expectations. Um, you know, it's gonna be interesting. I think getting Urban Meyer out w- was needed. I, I, I applaud them for not letting it linger mm-hmm. and kind of wasting another year because it was mm-hmm. clear it just wasn't gonna fit. You know, so so I do give them that. So we'll see. We'll see. I, I still believe in the talent. Uh, but Jackson was really gonna start putting pieces in place to give him an opportunity to reach that. Let's take it to Javante Williams because I, I updated my positional rankings yesterday. He's at 13 for me in my dynasty running back rankings. Clearly, that's not how some people are valuing him. I'm going to guess that we're going to see him in people's top fives in the offseason, like over like guys like McCaffrey, Kamara. Like if, if people are putting him in, in round one of redraft next year, I think you're going to see him in top fives, top sixes of dynasty, you know, positional running back rankings in the off season. You know, I know you might not have updated your own rankings yet, but do you see Javante in your rankings catapulting into that like really high level of like top five, top 10 dynasty running backs? Or are you, are you thinking maybe early teens? So yeah, chatter on the social media is, yeah, he's already in that top five sort of, value that people are looking for to me I mean I think Javante's shown me everything he needs to show me on the field he's he's amazing out there I haven't really seen a guy with that much balance and and tackle breaking ability since since basically like Kareem Hunt in Kansas City kind of thing like he's he's phenomenal he's so hard to take down and and always gets extra always extra with him and that's going to be extremely valuable. I just don't like, I think there's at least a 50% chance they bring back Melvin Gordon on a one-year contract. I think if they don't bring Melvin Gordon back on, on a one or two year deal, I think it's, there's a 95% chance that they're bringing back, bringing in some complimentary vet, whether that's like a guy like Sony Michelle, who we, we watch play tonight, free agent, would be a great compliment there. Um, or if they're drafting a guy, you know, we talked to, you know, maybe they get a guy like Rashad White or James Cook just to, to you know, to be a dynamic compliment. It's the way of NFL teams is to bolster out that, that running back room with talent, you know, so he's not going to be the only guy there. And I think to have a top five running back rank, you know, you're basically saying he's 
he's going to be treated like Jonathan Taylor, where he's the only guy in the realm. There, there's a possible path that way, but I'm not going to predict. I'm not going to like treat his value like that's already happened. Right? You have to bake in the uncertainty and the likelihood that he's still going to have some company next year. So, I mean, if I was being really optimistic in my ranks, I do think I could probably get him right around top 10. Um, especially if you're trying to put a little bit extra premium on youth, you know, maybe you're not quite the, you know, maybe, maybe it wasn't a good year for you and and you've got an eye to sort of the next couple years rather than, you know, trying to make one last run at it and you're not going after the elite producers. I, we've talked a lot on this show for, you know, my philosophy and it, and it's always been, you know, when there's guys producing oodles of fantasy points, you get them on your team and Javante has been doing well, but yeah, I think like top 10 would be optimistic and, and could, he could get there. I, I think. Yeah. I mean, listen, I look at it and you know, are people going to go into the offseason having him ahead of Christian McCaffrey? I'm not ready to do that yet. I know, I know, I know the injuries have have really built up for McCaffrey, but this is a guy who, when he plays, is like 25 to 30 fantasy points, like regularly. Like, I'm not ready just to say, okay, Javante Williams, you're better than him. Like, I could take your part about Ute and say, like, okay, somebody want to put him ahead of Derrick Henry, but. All that before this year, Derrick Henry never gets injured, and all he does is be a top three running back. You know, so then you have guys like Kem- Kamara and Eckler, and and Joe Mixon has had a really strong year this year, and he barely has been used in the past game. You know, are people going to throw Saquon to the curb and say, okay, we're done with him in terms of being a top ten back, and and replace him with Javante Williams? I could understand if they do that. You know, so you know Aaron Jones. I could see I did move Javante Williams ahead of Aaron Jones because it looks like they're going to definitely utilize AJ Dillon enough that it's going to hinder Aaron Jones a little bit. You know, Nick Chubb's another interesting one. Like, you know, I, I'm not ready to put him over over Nick Chubb just yet. Like, we don't know if Kareem Hunt's going to be there, you know, for much longer. So I, I think it's an interesting conversation and. I think a lot of it might be dictated by people just assuming next year he handles 80% or 70% of the workload. There's not a lot of guys that do that in the NFL. So for us just to make this proclamation that we think that's going to be the case next year, I'm not sure. He didn't do that in college. He hasn't done it in his rookie year. He's been very effective. I think he's going to get more work next year for sure. I'm just not sure it's going to be like true bell cow Dalvin Cook-like usage. If you tell me Javante Williams is going to get used like Dalvin Cook is used, then sure, if Rome in the top five, if he's going to get used like Dalvin Cook or Najee Harris, and, and I'm all in on that ranking for sure, I just don't know that we could kind of assume that right now just because Melvin Gordon's a free agent after the year. So, And let's round out the NFL Rookie Report with some wide receiver talk. I brought up Amon Ross St. Brown before. I'm interested to kind of hear your take because I know you were a fan of him, so how to – value him going into the offseason I think is really interesting not to get maybe too high but at the same time you know maybe try to get him on teams I'm I'm interested to hear your take and then my wide receiver that I'm still piqued interest and curious to get on teams is Terrace Marshall Jr. I'm not really sure what happened this year he had a great preseason and then just kind of 
you know, just did nothing during the season and, and stuff like that. He'd be the he'd be the guy that like really out of sight, out of mind that I bet you can probably get for a third round rookie pick in, at some point in the offseason when people are excited about draft picks and stuff like that. He'd be the he'd be the wide receiver for me out of sight, out of mind that I would try to scoop up in lots of instances uh, expecting Carolina to upgrade the quarterback position and, and maybe get that passing offense back on track next year. So, so thoughts on on uh, Amon Ra, and then if there's a wide receiver uh, that that you're kind of saying, you know, what, I, I would like to kind of get him on some dynasty teams and kind of wait it out a little longer. Don't make me pour cold water on Amon Ra <laughs> St. Brown, I, but it is. It's just it's one of those ones where I, I think you mentioned it on the intro, and no Swift, no Hawkinson no no williams like he's they they signed josh reynolds you know off uh tennessee to uh and he and he's doing just as much too so um i i mean i i still like amon ross st brown i really like him as a football player i don't think detroit's going to support a top 24 fantasy option next year at wide receiver so if your upside's kind of like a wide receiver three, I don't know. It just seems like a really good opportunity to to sort of sell them and and um, see what you can get from them in a trade. And, and maybe you get, you know, maybe you get Terrace Marshall and some like and a second, or you know, you get your you get your you recoup your draft capital from what you spent on on Amon Ross St. Brown, you know, to to go in this year's wide receiver class, and you pick up a guy who's sort of forgotten like Terrace Marshall on top of that. Um, I mean, I, I think I have to say Devonte Smith need, needs to be a target for everybody because of his talent level is, is going to be, it's, it's way higher than what he's currently valued at. Um, but if I, I if we're kind of going more of a, that's going to still cost a lot. And I think Rondale Moore would be, the guy in that tier that we've seen some electric plays. I'm really worried that we've seen zero from Terrace Marshall. I, I like your idea for, you know, throwing a third round pick and see if you can grab him just to see, because I know what he did in college and he was a good player, but man, it really scares me when, I mean, I really like to Butler, right. And just fade away. Just, it, there's just, you look at, you look at the kind of the profile of, his, his college profile is great and promising. Now he's an NFL player. And you look at that profile and the type of, you know, the type of prospects and athletes he, he'd stack up against in historical players. And, it, and it's really, um, I just wouldn't expect much. Um, I think it's worth a shot, but I, I wouldn't expect much there. I do think we might have a better chance of seeing something out of Rondale Moore. Yeah, Ronda Moore was the other guy I was going to mention for sure. Uh, I do think Christian Kirk has kind of found his way back into the good graces of, of Arizona in terms of, you know, I thought that, I think that most people were ready to kind of get, you know, push him out of Arizona, that he wasn't going to be a part of that, you know, but he's had a pretty good year this year. So I, I think more could if they move on from AJ Green, maybe it could be Kirk and, and Hopkins on the outside and more on the inside as an offensive weapon. He would have been the next guy that I brought up. I think he would I think he's still gonna cost decent draft capital. I, I think people are still 
probably going to be intrigued by Rondo more because he kind of came into the league, especially, you know, he's been a guy that broke out so long ago in, in the Debbie community that he kind of came in with a higher profile. So, so I feel like he's going to cost you. I think at this point, Terrace Marshall is going to be dirt cheap, right? So that that's the allure of saying, yeah, you know, kind of put him on the end of the roster and see, but yeah, we, it's not good what we've seen this year. Joe Brady was his offensive coordinator in college. Now he's been fired at Carolina. He couldn't get, you know, bring something out of him. It's just weird how he looks so, he looked athletic and dominant. And I know the preseason is, you know, we see flashes of that, but sometimes we see flashes and it does transfer eventually to the, to the regular season. And we just didn't see anything out of him, like very minimal. I will say the one wild card who jumps to the top of my list. And I, and I know this is going to, this is going to be somebody that you're going to be right there with me is if when the first day of free agency hits, Mike Williams signs with anyone not named the Chargers, that day I'm going on every fantasy league I'm in, every dynasty league I'm in, and I'm I'm putting out offers for Josh Palmer. And if the if the noise building in the free agency is that Mike Williams might be gone, I'm going to start making those offers in February. I want in on many Josh Palmer shares as possible if Mike Williams is on the way out. If he stays, I think it really hinders what his upside could be in, in the next couple of years. Uh, but but Palmer is a guy that I believe a lot in his talent. I watched him last week when he got an opportunity against the Giants with Keenan Allen out and, and you know, charging some COVID issues. He got an opportunity to play, score a touchdown. Uh, I, I think he's a guy that the draft community wasn't very high on in college, didn't really – check the boxes in terms of market share and breakout age and stuff like that. But, but I was really intrigued by him. I think poor quarterback play at Tennessee really hindered his draft, you know, stock. Uh, But it was glad to see he got some draft stock still in in the third round. And he'd be a guy I'd be buying if, if I think Mike Williams is not going to be there. Any thoughts on Palmer before we close with a dynasty report? Yeah. Don't, don't wait until he gets more expensive. Just, just put him, throw him on your, throw him on the back of your roster. Now if you can, um, why pay a second when you could pay a fourth? Um, yeah. If, if that's what it's going to take. Um, it's it's sort of, I, I don't know if they let Mike Williams walk and then just don't bring anybody else in. Like, do they sign a guy like uh, Godwin or Allen Robinson, you know, just try to come back over? I, you know, I think that there's something very realistic about that for, for Justin Herbert, but it's sort of like a prospect like Van Jefferson, right? Who's just every year just built put a little bit more on his resume put a little bit more on his plate played a little bit more role in in the offense and and you can start to see him now be a factor on Sundays here and there so you know it's not an immediate breakout but um that's the type of that's the type I think he's going to have a good slow build like a like a Van Jefferson and I have one one final thought just give a a little you know, I, I like to celebrate when, when these underdog guys do well. So Davis Mills, um, and, and I think this is going to be interesting. We've talked about like Detroit, how they weren't in a position to draft a quarterback this past year. Uh, and they just kind of rolled with a lame duck in, in Jared Goff. I, I don't know that in there's this quarterback class with all its uncertainty. I'm not, and Houston with all its knees needs, I'm not really sure. I think Davis Mills might be buying himself another year to to kind of audition 
for and build an NFL resume, right? To like, I don't think he's going to be a franchise long term answer. I, I, I mean, maybe he could be like, like he, he, people probably said that about Kirk Cousins when he when he first started to break out. I, I don't think we're talking that, but uh, I, I think eventually we're going to get a marquee name in Houston to lead that quarterback room. But I think we might see Davis Mills as a starter next year. Just just because I don't know that quarterback's the first need that Houston addresses. And I think he's played well enough to buy some time for, for the 2023 class. Yeah, and listen, I'm right there with you. I I think the one the one way I don't think he's in the mix to be the starter. I don't think they're drafting one in the in the top of of round one. That that I don't think. Even if even if they get a lot of draft capital in the Deshaun Watson trade, I think that's the one wild card though, right? Because like, and I'm not sure who's going to be interested after the year. He's still got legal issues. He's got to, but like the names we kept hearing, right, were Philadelphia, Miami. Those are the two at the forefront. Carolina was kind of on the peripheral a little bit. Now, Carolina doesn't really have a quarterback they can send back in any trade that I think really would impact anything. I mean, Sam Darnold fell flat on his face. I thought that draft capital they traded last year for him was too much. I thought he was more of a maybe one late second round or a third round pick, and they traded like a two, a five, and something else. Uh, but, I mean, if they were to make a trade with the Eagles, my guess is Jalen Hurts goes back the other way. If they were to make a trade with Miami, Tua goes back the other way. That's the one way where I think Davis Mills can kind of get pushed out of a real opportunity to, to at least lead them next year because I don't think they're going to – maybe they bring in another veteran, a stopgap to kind of compete with him and you know, and we'll see you know how Mills does. But it's one of those things if they if a trade of Deshaun Watson leads to a quarterback going back the other way, that could be the one way Mills gets squeezed a little bit. Uh, but he's shown enough that if you're not going to invest in a quarterback in the top 10, he deserves to at least be in the mix to start next year if you're not getting a, a guy back in a trade. So, listen, I, I, I mocked that pick when it when it happened because I said, why are you wasting a pick knowing you're gonna, probably going to take quarterback in the, in the top of the draft next year? But right now he's penned out to be a pretty serviceable third round pick. And listen, if even if he's a really good backup the rest of his career, that's worth a late third round pick in terms of the money that backup quarterbacks get paid, you know, and if you get them on their contract for four years and that, you know, and then even keep them or whatever, you know, it's, it, it's still worth it late third round there for, for how well he's played in terms of, you know, being the guy this year who's, who's kind of been thrown into an impossible situation and, and at least been serviceable more games than not. Uh, and at least kept the offense moving at times and Brandon Cook's productive and, and stuff like that. So he's done a really good job this year. It's it's weird that you could make a case that Mac Jones and Davis Mills have, have been have put more on tape than any of the other rookie quarterbacks. Who would have seen that coming before the season started? <laughs> so anyway, let's let's end the night with a dynasty fantasy report. I did some updated rankings last night. Still gotta go back in and fine-tune some things, but you know, some big things that that I kind of moved is I don't remember if you were on air with me a couple of weeks ago or a month ago when I talked about we went into this year with a lot of blind fate 
and expectations for the rookie class, right? For Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, Trey Lance. And if I remember correctly, you were pretty much right there with me that I think we both had him in that like nine to 12 range, give or take. I I could be off by a, a little bit, but I'm pretty sure we had them in that range. And what they showed this year or lack there of showing, while I still believe in all of them, I truly do. I don't know how I could reasonably put in writing and on rankings that that's where they should be ranked going into next year. Like Joe Burrow showed us things in his rookie year to warrant saying, okay, a a second year breakout is going to come. And I still think these guys could be really good next year and break out. But right now I leapfrogged the old guard and I know it's crazy, but Aaron Rodgers is going to potentially be the MVP to lead this year again. And if it's not him, it's going to be Tom Brady. These guys aren't slowing down and we get into this dangerous situation of looking too far ahead in dynasty and all Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady keep doing is being dominant and putting up massive production. So for now, I'm sorry, those three rookies might one day be great, but right now they're not even serviceable in terms of being starters and Russell Will- and Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady are still at literally playing at an elite level in terms of fantasy production. So I had to move some of those guys and got even a guy like Matthew Stafford ahead of the Trevor Lawrence, Trey Lance, Justin Fields group, just because I, I don't want to go into next year, such blind fate where I had him this year because we do know quarterbacks bust, even really good ones that have high pedigrees and and people think. So I had to make that switch. Nothing else really dramatically changed in terms of my quarterbacks. I moved Mac Jones up a little bit, obviously. Daniel Jones went down. Uh, Carson Wentz had some, uh, you know, moved up a little bit. We're talking things in like the, you know, the 18 to 25 range. Not really worth too much discussion. Thoughts, Jeff, on me taking that chunk of rookie quarterbacks and saying, you know what, you got to move down. And when you show me more, I'm going to move you back up. I can't have you as high as I did when the season started going into year two with how little you put on tape. Uh, welcome to the old man party. I think, I think <laughs> one of the things I, I, I think I had um, when, if they were an elite producer like Aaron Rodgers, I think I still had them up above the rookies, just kind of barely. I I, kind of had lumped Russell Wilson up there. I still believe in Russell Wilson's talent and he's young enough. Brady is the elite producer, but I just, is it this year? Is it next year? Uh, He's been a value for everybody in dynasty thinking he's going to retire for like four years and he just keeps putting up QB one numbers. So maybe he, I don't know where Brady belongs, but higher than we have him probably. Um, I had those rookies ahead of the sort of, Stafford's and Tannehill's and you know Stafford's kind of waned a little bit of late but I think what we've seen with the you know the McVay offense with them there I think there's just enough firepower and and Stafford's still young enough that we're more likely to see you know uh, a longer career value for out of a guy like Matthew Stafford than we are out of Lawrence Lance and Fields because there is still a risk that these guys don't hit. So every year these rookie drafts come around, you're like, I'm going to draft this rookie. I'm going to lock this position down for 10 years, 20 years. I mean, having a 10 or 12 year starting career as a quarterback is extremely difficult to do. It just, I mean, you, you see it with Baker Mayfield and Daniel Jones and, and, and just people think they've got it locked down and there's, 
you can't stop growing and developing as an NFL quarterback. You have to get better every single year or else you start to fall off and, and guys figure you out. So it's one of those ones where, you know, in order to, there's value in these, these old guys like Aaron Rodgers, who's probably going to play for four or five years and may play longer than, you know, maybe in the league longer than Zach Wilson. Right. Um, Zach Wilson. I, so for Lawrence Lance fields um, and, and Mac Jones, I think deserves to, to be boosted up as I think we're looking at somebody who's proving himself to be a stable, capable starter. I don't, his first good fantasy production week happened during his worst game this last week with multiple picks. So I think that says something. I don't think he's going to be a great fantasy asset, but he's looking like he's going to be developed into a good starter with Lawrence Lance and fields. We haven't, I mean, we've definitely seen some poor play, but we haven't seen, like, we've still seen glimpses. We've still seen the ability that they can bring at times, right? I, I think Lance is just a major question mark. We just haven't seen much. But but with Fields, we've talked about it. We've celebrated it a couple of weeks. You know, some of these brilliant plays he's making. With Lawrence, I still think it's there. I, the one I'd be pushing down pretty drastically is Wilson, Zach Wilson. Because it just doesn't seem to be... Like, I don't, I don't know what's going to tap into there and what he's going to be able to pull out of a hat and... Like it, it would be, it would be a remarkable turnaround if, if he managed to do it. But I just, there are so many fundamental concepts that he's just not grasping at, at as a quarterback. Um, and I think he's been studied in and out by a number of really brilliant people this year, um, beyond just me, um, who've kind of come up to similar levels of concern with, you know, did the New York Jets whiff on that draft pick? Uh, You know, is it, we're talking like a Josh Rosen kind of situation. I I don't know, but they're going to stick with Wilson for a couple of years, but I just don't think he's going to be one of those guys that is playing into a contract extension. And I think Aaron Rodgers might still be playing, you know, when the Jets move on from Zach Wilson, I could be wrong. I'd love for him to prove me wrong, but it's it, you have to kind of place some bets. This is this is it now. Now now we're placing bets. I'm not willing to bet on Zach Wilson at this point. Yeah, I mean, listen, there's been very few promising signs. It's been a couple games, couple moments, and listen, you know, Zach Wilson was a guy who we never thought he should be going as high as, as he was going to go. And, you know, in hindsight, it's easy to say this, but like. Was there that much difference in the pre-draft evaluation of a guy like Zach Wilson compared to a guy like Drew Locke or or Jordan Love? And like Jordan Love ended up going late round one because the Packers traded and uh, you know up, and Drew Locke fell to round two, and and 
you can make some similarities between all those guys. And now I don't think Jordan Love is going to be the, the next quarterback in Green Bay, to be honest with you. I don't think I don't think they're banking on him. And Drew Locke is kind of pilf- already kind of washed out in, in Denver. He's not going to be their long term starter. And, you know, and, you know, Zach Wilson, listen, the offensive line with the Jets has been terrible. They still need to build more of that. You know, so I'm not ready to say he's on that level yet, but. You know, you'd like to see a little bit more, you know, from him. And, and we'll see next year. We'll get a better read on him. I think the Jalen Hurts to the, re, the the rookies, it was my hardest point because if Jalen Hurts is just in Philadelphia doing what he does, he probably deserves to be ahead of those rookies. It's if they don't think he's the guy that can take them where they want to go, does he then become an, a starter somewhere else instantly? Or is he kind of like be kind of, you know, does he bounce around a little bit and never truly give in like, I'm the guy. And that's the one part about dynasty, which is tricky. If I knew he was in Philadelphia for the next three years as their starting quarterback right now, he deserves to be higher than those guys because he has the running capabilities. He's put up gaudy fantasy stats for most of the season, you know, so he he's a tough one. I think going into this off season, I've been on record. So I'm not going to go against it that I think if the right trade offer came, I would sell because I do think there are some legitimate questions about whether or not the Eagles, you know, are all in, on him so i think that's that's a tough one so at the running back position i made some wholesale changes i put jonathan taylor up at the top said i was gonna do that weeks ago dalvin cook is number two for me i think it gets really hard there and we talked a little bit about javante williams before so i don't have to get in there but i think it's very hard kind of getting a consistent ranking between like Najee harris and alvin kamara and austin eckler christian mccaffrey Derrick Henry, Joe Mixon, Saquon Barkley, DeAndre Swift, Nick Chubb, Javante Williams. Like those are the guys that make up my next, you know, eight or or nine names. But I don't feel really comfortable with the order at all. Like if I sit down tomorrow, I could see myself putting somebody three, four, five that I don't have right now. Uh, I feel confident that those are the names that should be there, which means for me, Antonio Gibson had to fall back a little bit compared to where I had him most of the year. They just don't look like they're going to make him that workhorse where he's a huge part of the passing game, which I always expected was going to come because of how good he was out of the college. Same thing with Josh Jacobs, right? I know he's, he was at, he's been asked to do more receiving and he actually moved up for me, Josh Jacobs, because maybe this is a sign that he can do a little bit more. And I think so many guys have just went the other way that naturally Josh Jacobs moved up. The biggest riser for me was Leonard Fournette. I have him at 18 and I feel like it might be too low going into the off season, to be honest with you. I think he deserves to be higher. I was I stood my ground. It might be crazy, but right now I have moved Tony Pollard ahead of Ezekiel Elliott. I don't know if Dallas is going to buy it. I think they might just keep force feeding Ezekiel Elliott, but nobody can watch those two run right now and think Ezekiel Elliott is a better running back than Tony Pollard. And I think by next year, something's got to give and something's got to change in that backfield if they're both there. Uh so I would not want in on Ezekiel Elliott right now. I would want in on Tony Pollard for sure. Elijah Mitchell moved all the way up into my top 25. Uh, I think he's going to be San Francisco's guy for a couple of years. I, I, I like him. Uh, so those are probably the biggest movers and shakers. There's other guys we could talk about. But anything there that I just said, Jeff, kind of pique your interest and say, okay, I'm intrigued by that. I'm looking forward to sitting down myself and, you know, doing my rankings and kind of seeing, you know, comparing with Paul. Uh, Anything kind of really stick out that I just mentioned? 
Oh, not exactly. I, you mentioned that big lump of the other RB1s. And we, what you didn't mention is Joe Mixon's probably in your top three right behind Dalvin Cook, right? <laughs> Maybe. I, I didn't go that high. I, right Maybe. now for me, right now he's number eight. I, I've been very oh, happy with the breakout here. But he hasn't moved up. He hasn't moved up too much. He's kind of he's kind of been status quo right there because yeah. I still think he hasn't taken that next step in terms of the receiving capabilities, which he's another guy I think could very much be that prolific receiver, but they just don't seem like they're interested in, in mm-hmm. doing that for whatever reason. Uh, so I, I kept them behind. Austin Eckler, I honestly should say, was probably one of my other biggest risers too. And we yeah. talked about it a couple weeks ago. I don't think Alvin Kamara and Austin Eckler can be separated by more than one or two spots. So mm-hmm. if I was going to keep Alvin Kamara at five or up there, he's mm-hmm. five for me. I moved Najee Harris ahead of him. If I'm going to keep mm-hmm. Alvin Kamara at five, I moved Austin Eckler to six. I'm not going to sit there and say one thing and then do something else in my rankings. I don't think there should be much, if at any difference between those two. If someone wants to have Austin Eckler ahead of Alvin Kamara, I think it's warranted and, and I'm totally okay with it. Well, I'm happy you put Najee up there in like your top four because you were, we're excited about Javante. He's in a bunch of people's top fives because he's breaking these tackles and he's just making people look silly. But like, you know, what Najee's doing in Pittsburgh with just crumbling facade of a castle around him and just it, part of it's just usage fueled, but that's what Pittsburgh does and what they need and who they found. And Najee's just going to be just a workman, just pounding carries, tons of targets, tons of catches. I mean, he's going to be a, an extremely valuable fantasy asset um, just because of how involved he is in that offense. It, you know, we we talked about it with the concern of ranking Javante too high as already assuming he's going to be used like like Najee or like Jonathan Taylor or like Dalvin Cook. So when I put those together, you know, projected usage, you know, Derrick Henry will probably be up there. I, I just, I know the age is kind of scary. Same with, same, same with McCaffrey. I know the age is kind of scary, but they are, they are the offense and used like nobody else factors in at all in those backfields. And when that's when that's the case, and that's that's the backfield you're in, you are going to be extremely fantasy valuable. So so those are going to be, kind of be the ones of those lists that rise to the top. I think we're seeing Joe Mixon be a little bit more of that than he has in years past. Not the passing usage, but definitely the snaps and and the the snap share and opportunity share. Just not they're just not passing to the running back much at all. I I, I think Leonard Fournette is a really Good asset, cheap asset. To, I mean, he would have been a perfect one to buy for your championship run because I still think he's better than Ronald Jones. I think Tom Brady would rather have Leonard Fournette on the team than Ronald Jones. I think Tom Brady is going to have them bring Leonard Fournette back, and I think you're going to see a similar season for for as long as Tom Brady's there and Leonard Fournette's there. He's going to be an extremely valuable back. I. I'm really happy with what he's doing. I think his talent is, um, I mean, he, he came into the league with so much fanfare and then everybody loved to hate on him for some reason. 
and I'm happy he's he's sort of he's not Najee, but I think he's still really good and he's producing and and I think uh, everyone's going to be happy there. So I, I like hearing him get up in your top twenty. Um, Elijah Mitchell, I don't know that I have it up there or not, or not, but Elijah Mitchell will be over Trey Sermon. I think we've had to make that months ago. Um, I think I cataloged Elijah, like Elijah Mitchell's improvement, especially in the tough yards. That that's one of the big ones there for for me. It's he's not just a home run threat anymore. Who needs a big gap? He's able to. He's not able to create the same way that I see Trey Sermon creating. You know, through complex changing pictures in a in a backfield penetration and et cetera. But he can get the tough yards, and San Francisco blocks well enough that he's going to be the guy. So yeah, I'm I'm pretty happy with all of those. I can't even imagine what we're going to get into from the wide receiver side because if if we think these running backs are hard to uh, to straight and, and kind of rank right, we, we've already railed over against rankings when we first started this activity together. But um, I don't even know how we're going to s- split the the wide receiver ranks. Uh, one of the ones that are probably going down for me, with just the sad news today, was uh, Chris Godwin's ACL. That that's. I mean, he was probably a top 10 guy for me. I, I just, I love what he was doing in the ACL. I, I really hope it's a quick recovery and we're, we're in the eight to nine months and we kind of see him start in, I, I don't know where he's going to go in free agency. It's just a too much uncertainty to really have. He's probably falling back into the late teens as there's just too many promising players to put ahead of him at this point. Yeah, I mean, the wide receivers could be a whole episode in itself, so we'll, we'll keep this brief to, to close in the next couple of minutes here. For me, Jamar Chase and Justin Jefferson sit at the top, and then I think it really becomes a challenge of the Tyree Kills, Devontae Adams, Stephon Diggs, compared to the younger guys like C.D. Lamb and A.J. Brown. Uh, Cooper Cup has thrown himself into mm-hmm. the mix. He's all the way into, into the top eight mix for me. Uh, DK Metcalf and Calvin Ridley have came back a little bit. Mm-hmm. Terry, Terry McLaurin and DJ Moore didn't break mm-hmm. out they're still in my top 12 but i think they're borderline i could i mm-hmm. could see moving them down further right now uh i have godwin and evans back to back at 14 15 but i kind of i kind of think i'm in with you that he maybe should be going down a little bit more to the later teens because i look at my list and i look at a guy like debo samuel and deontay johnson and i'm not sure they're pretty close right now in general i'm not sure chris godwin with his injury and the uncertainty of where he ends up deserve to be ahead of Deontay Johnson, Debo Samuel, who mm. are, are two very talented, young, promising players. So my guess is Samuel and Johnson move up a little bit. I still got I still got to work on the receivers a little bit in terms of ranking, but I think Samuel and Johnson will, uh, will jump over those guys. Uh, I, I held to what I said a couple weeks ago. This is PPR rankings. Hunter Renfro is wide receiver 36. He wasn't in my initial top 70. That's, That's where we came. That's know, where we that's came. still and, too low, though. And 36 <laughs> might be too low because if he's the next Julian Edelman, Wes Welker, 90 to 110 catches every year, that's still probably too low. He needs to probably be over. I, I struggled with whether or not he should be over the rookies that I'm so excited mm-hmm. about, right? From Bateman and Tony and Elijah Moore. I struggled to, to decipher of would I just want to pencil in Renfro in those receptions or would I want to shoot that these guys become like really high caliber wide receiver twos? 
I, I think it's far from a conclusion that they do that. So, so you're, you're probably right. He probably is a little too low. I'm looking at this and I probably could see some guys that I can flip them over. Uh, we'll kind of joke about that too, though, just because there's, I think there's, you know, about over a dozen wide receiver ones. There's like 15 to 18 wide receiver ones and another 30 wide receiver twos behind them. It's just like you start to, if you start to go down the names, you'd be like, well, maybe I would take him over Hunter Renfro and maybe I'd probably draft him yeah. over. It's just that he's just going to be an insane value and you should, he should be on your fantasy teams and he's probably going to be your fifth or sixth wide receiver on your fantasy team, but you should, you still get him that way because he's, he's going to produce for you. I felt um, like the hardest names for me to rank were four guys that once upon a time were all wide receiver one slash twos. And that mm. was Odell. Allen mm-hmm. Robinson, Kenny mm-hmm. Galladay, and Juju Smith. And I, mm-hmm. I have them literally back to back to back to back in, in that mm-hmm. 37 to 40 range. And it, it's weird because it, not that long ago, Juju Smith was the wide receiver one in dynasty rankings. The wide receiver mm-hmm. one a couple years ago. And now he's sitting there at 40 for me. And that's probably lower than most people have him. But he, but, but I don't think he warrants much higher than that. Kenny Galladay's at 39, and he probably should even be lower. Allen Robinson did nothing this year. Odell, I'm that's, intrigued with because if he stays with the Rams, I'm intrigued that they could get the best out of him. So, but, but those guys are, are really hard to rank. But to be honest with you, it really starts to fall off. Wide receivers isn't as deep as I thought it was. I really found like it was like a, a cliff after like mid 40s. And then it was just a lot of older guys and mm-hmm. complete unknowns after we got to like the mid 40s. Yeah. Alan Robinson is sort of the one name there that I don't know what to do. I, I've got him on one or two squads and I, 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 I kind of want out, but what I don't know what I would try to take in return because the upside is immense. If he, I mean, all he needs is a little bit of new scenery. Like I said, if he goes to the chargers with Justin Herbert and Mike Williams walks, like I I think we'll be ranking them in the top 15 again, something like that. Like, I mean, the talent, he just, ah, man, what he's putting on the field looks, looks like a guy who's almost just disinterested which is yep. it's kind of sad to say, but I, I, I think that that can be rectified, right? I don't, oh, Chicago's a mess too, man. Um, there's one more name too that I remembered back to the running backs and probably a good target to go trade for if you can right now. Well, everybody's forgetting about him, including us, is J.K. Dobbins. Like, where does he land? Is he in your top 12? He is not. Right now, mm-hmm. I still have Dobbins in that low RB2 range right around, you know, I have him right after the Miles Sanders, David Montgomery, Kareem Hunt, uh, that group, Tony Pollard. He's right there. He's ahead of Ezekiel Elliott for me. He's ahead of Elijah Mitchell, Travis Etienne. I have him right there in that that early 20s. Who, but I agree. Okay, so you mentioned Miles Sanders. Keep naming some names above Miles Sanders. Leonard, see how Fournette, I, Leonard Fournette, Clyde Edwards-Alaire, uh-huh. Josh Jacobs, Antonio Gibson, and then you know we're into the Aaron Jones, Javante Williams, and then like the Nick Chubb, the RB ones. I think I might have them above, like right where Aaron Jones and above Aaron Jones, somewhere in there. Because I, I mean, I just I don't because well, we dropped them in our rankings because you lost the year of production. We're past that year now, and we expect him back, right? So, and, and we've seen 
like we've seen Devontae Freeman in that rushing attack look good and he's on his last legs. And, and we saw Gus Edwards uh, for a while there just look like he could, you know, he, tearing it apart. Uh, that's going to be a really efficient running attack. I just don't, I don't see how he fails there uh, because yeah. of how talented he is. If, so, if you think about it that way, in terms of the year that we lost is gone, I could see moving him back up because I think on, I think talent alone, he, he's, He's far for me right now. He's going to be superior than Clyde Edwards-Helaire and Miles Sanders and David Montgomery for sure. He's so going to have more take, years than Leonard Fournette. Yeah, if you probably take more year, years than Aaron take the Jones. Lost year out of it. I think he probably jumps as I'm talking to you. I think 16 for me is where I would feel comfortable right now. So I'm going to do that literally live on air as I am talking to Jeff. J.K. Dobbins has moved to the 16th spot on my dynasty rankings. But I think he's a, he, listen. He's an interesting one. We saw everything ha- everything that could go wrong for the, the Baltimore backfield did this off season. But Dobbins, I kind of expect to be you know you know fully recovered before next year starts and get every opportunity to be the guy there. And I think he was on the fast track of being in that you know low RB one. Uh, you know, we were excited about Antonio Gibson and, and, you know, even if he doesn't become a prolific receiver, you know, we see, we've seen Nick Chubb be an RB one without needing to do much in the receiving game. I think in that offense, JK Dobbins could be a prolific runner and, and put up, you know, RB one or high RB two stats. So, you know, I think that's the the right play. Uh, let's round it out with one tight end thought uh, just at the top. And for me, my big thing was moving Pitts down a little bit. Same reason why I moved the quarterback, the rookie quarterbacks down. And for me, what I've seen out of Mark Andrews this year, to me, he warrants jumping over Pitts. And I even put him over Travis Kelsey because I think, you know, Kelsey's is on that tipping point. And maybe, maybe for the next year, it, it could hurt me. But I, I don't think there's going to be many more years, more than one, to be honest, where Kelsey is the better option than Andrews. If he is, if he even is right now, I'm not sure. So for me, Waller and Kittle are my clear top two. Then I have Andrews, then I have Kelsey, and I move Pitts all the way down to five. And that's a big thing because when we did this in the summer, he was one for me. So that just shows you, again, we get really excited. And even someone who tries to don't go over the top I still fell into the trap with Pitts. I probably fell into the trap with some of the rookie quarterbacks. Uh, and, you know, I think I was fine where I had like the other, the rookie receivers and the rookie running backs, but the, but Pitts and the quarterbacks, I think I had too high to start with. Uh, so I've rectified that a little bit. I think Andrews deserves to be higher than where I had him. And then the only other thing that I'll just say that I think is just remarkable is one, the fact that Rob Gronkowski is back into the top 10, 12 t- dynasty tight ends is just remarkable, but he should be because there's no reason he shouldn't be. Even if you say the top six is kind of locked and loaded, you know, Goddard, fan, okay, most people, they're going to be the, in that 7-8 range. I mean, then you're talking mm-hmm. guys like Gusecki, Hunter Henry, Rob Gronkowski. I mean, that's, I think, how you round out the tight end ones. And I, I like what I've seen out of Pat Fryermuth, so I jumped him all the way up to tight end 12 because I'd rather have mm-hmm. him than all those next group of guys like Dalton Schultz and Tyler Higby, the Logan Thomases, Irv Smith's the wild card. I'm a big fan of him, but, you know, let me see it when he comes back a little bit, uh, you know, and make sure, you know, he develops into the guy I thought he was. 
But yeah, so Fryermoo jumps into the top 12, Gronkowski back into the top 12, and Mark Andrews at number three were my big tight end movement. So Waller's had a pretty tough year. Would you rather Andrews or Waller right now? I think it's tough because, you know, if Waller's fully healthy, the offense is literally running through him in with, with Vegas. Like, you know, but we have a new coach and and he had we we saw it week 1 and we we laughed cuz he had like 20 targets. But even with Gruden after that, you know, he I think as teams schemed Waller out, the Vegas off, offense adapted a little bit. And and Henry Ruggs kind of when when Henry Ruggs left uh, the team too, that that sort of changed the dynamic around as well. I think he's teams could key in on Waller a little bit more, and I think it's just one of those. I, Andrews is also a focal point of the the Baltimore offense. Now they've passed more now, and they may run more next year just because of of the injuries that's happened to that team. I just think it's a really interesting question because uh, Kittle will still be my tight end one, and I'm with you on Kelsey. He's he's going to be Tom Brady. He's going to He's going to do it longer than we expect, but that you're, you are at some point not going to have that anymore. And honestly, I think with Kelsey, unless you really have to get a haul in a rebuild build, he's probably just best on your roster until he retires. Um, yes, but I, have, I agree, I I agree have, with that. Cause I don't think you're going to get the value that he brings to your team back in a trade. I have one, one more like this guy or that guy for you. So Dallas Goddard or TJ Hawkinson? I have TJ Hawkinson one spot higher. He's six. Dallas Goddard seven. I I do think it's close. I'm going to say that that is going to really, that could be something that can change on a dime. If you tell me this offseason Deshaun Watson is going to become the quarterback mm-hmm. of the Philadelphia Eagles, Dallas Goddard's going ahead of TJ Hawkinson for me. Even uh, Jalen Hurts has given him a hundred yard games, back to back games, hundred yeah. yards. I it's it's the it's breakout honestly, that I, Hawkinson's I've been waiting, injured. So we, it's I've been not waiting fair, for I've been waiting but, for the breakout with Dallas Goddard for years. I was sitting here. And waiting and saying it's here, man. Finally here. It's here. When Earth was traded, I, I made that change and I kind of put him in that. Like I was like, okay, now you can get him up into the tier. You were always halfway there, and now you're there. I that's one of those ones where again, I think take take whichever guy. I, I think Goddard is cheaper than Hawkinson to acquire, and I I, I don't see much of a difference. So th- that's just another fascinating one for me. Yeah, I mean, to me, you know, like they were. You know, Hawkinson always was kind of like in his own tier a little bit for me when the when the year started, you know, and then it was like Goddard and Fant. And I think Goddard is clearly ahead of Fant. I think he's now with Hawkinson in that tier. Uh, you know, maybe Pitts is now the guy in his own mm-hmm. tier because we, we kind of got to wait to see what he is and what that Atlanta offense can do. And I think you're right. The Andrews and Waller discussion, I have Kittle at one. The, the Waller-Andrews discussion I think is really interesting because Andrews – looks like his stock is going up. You know, Waller either kind of has plateaued now or going down a little bit, especially with Renfro's, you know, taking so many receptions. You would think the Raiders do look to add, you know, Braylon Edwards just hasn't panned out. Henry Ruggs is gone. So you would also think that they probably Mm -hmm. look to upgrade that second wide receiver position. I mean, Renfro is just a slot guy. It is who he is. He's a great slot receiver. So you would think that they're going to look to upgrade the outside receiver position for sure. 
the draft, free agency. So if all of a sudden you bring in another guy who's like an alpha wide receiver or potentially, you know, let's just say they brought in Allen Robinson, you know, mm -hmm. if they, you know, or, That's or Chris Godwin or whatever. Yeah. But if they brought somebody like that and then there's Renfro in the slot and then there's Darren Waller, well, all of a sudden, you know, all of a sudden Mark Andrews is looking like a more integral part. Is I mean, Darren Waller still be great, but it looks like, you know, Andrews could even be a more integral part of, of that offense. Uh, you know, so but, I, I think that's a very tough one. Rashad Bateman's going to break out in Baltimore too, so that that's okay. And Marquise um, Brown this year, I mean, yeah. had a really productive year. So, I mean, that Baltimore offense next year, man, when they get J.K. Dobbins back. They and, were so and hot, Bateman, and Lamar kind of – you know, this last month it's been, it's been rough, but when he was on, when he's, he's so streaky when Lamar's on, I mean, it's a bonanza of just, it's, it's just a joy to watch. And, and then there's those times he just gets so cold. Um, and, I, and I wonder, I wonder if part of the reason those cold patches have happened this year is they really haven't been able to utilize the run game at all. Yeah. So now that next year, okay, when he has those moments where he, it's clear he's in one of those cold spells, are they going to be able to use his legs to kind of springboard J.K. Dobbins, right? Some RPO yeah. stuff. Like right now, Devontae Freeman is who he is. He's, he's a grinder at this point. Like he, he gets what's there. Like three, four yards, he's, he's a tough runner. I get it. But like that's what – I mean, look at the running backs. I mean, even Gus Edwards this year might have, you know, changed the narrative for them if they had him. If mm -hmm. you bring back J.K. Dobbins and he's the explosive guy that we think he could be, I mean – all of a sudden, those Lamar spells where maybe he's he's having a poor moment or a poor series or a poor couple series, all of a sudden maybe they can lean on the run game a little bit and that kind of springboards the passing game to get going again. I I think they're going to be an explosive offense next year. Bateman in year two, Marquise mm -hmm. Brown in year three, Andrews morphing into an elite elite tight end. J.K. Dobbins back. I mean, they were decimated with injuries on the line on, on the mm -hmm. defensive side. Baltimore's going to be a sleepy team, that, a, a team next year that I think is going to be very dangerous, especially you know on the offensive side. Uh, I mean, they might even not make they might not even <laughs> make the playoffs with all their missed two point conversions uh, yeah. down the stretch here. Uh, we'll see what happens there, but next year it's going to be fun to kind of watch that. So, well, I've ruined your uh, your hope for a short show, but uh, <laughs> I want to I want to leave. With one more note, uh, you mentioned Friermuth sneaking into your top twelve. That's the one name I'd watch to to. We've been waiting on Goddard to break out and, and kind of join Hawkinson. Friermuth is that name to watch that I think has, of all the other names, the ability to jump up into that tier with those guys as you know, really focal possession receivers for their teams. So, uh, you know, Friermuth is. I, I don't know if you can trade for him right now because he's just been so phenomenal for for teams in a position that people really need but that's that's a big name to watch yeah and listen to be honest with you if somebody wants to have pat frymuth as high as eight right now ahead of gronkowski hunter henry and mike gusecki i i think it's totally okay totally okay if, if somebody wants to have him right after dallas goddard at eight i don't think it's crazy i think he's already shown that he's going to be productive he's going to be a tight end he's going to be a red zone monster he's going to be a touchdown machine you know the quarterback play can't get any worse in pittsburgh than it's been than it's been this year it can only go up you know once ben retires and, and they move on from him so I, I can totally see somebody who really wants to be aggressive with pat fryer having him all the way as the as the eight tight end uh 
you know, in, in terms of dynasty. So I, I, I think I'm right there with you. I'd rather be aggressive now and get him. Kind of like what you were saying before, right? Go get a guy now before his stock even continues to rise. So there it is, guys. NFL rookie report, uh, dynasty report. And then obviously we talked some senior bowl accepted invites, kind of setting the stage. Uh, obviously more names will be added to the, that list uh, in the coming weeks for sure. If you're enjoying what we're doing here, please get over to the website. SS Football is the quickest and fastest way to get there. Check out our premium content tab. And for $9.99, you get access to all three of our premium notebooks. You immediately get access to the scouting notebook, all our scouting reports. Uh, lots more names going to be added within the next week or so. Updates to many of the guys that are in there. You get the rankings notebook that has all our rankings, draft eligible, dynasty rookie rankings, dynasty positional rankings, Devi rankings. It's going to have our tiers. And then in April, you get the draft projections notebook tabs for every position, offense and defense. Snapshot of who they are. There's combine testing numbers projecting how we expect it to go from everything we are hearing. It is the best way to support the show and let us continue to keep doing what we do here for all of you. So on behalf of Jeff, on behalf of Matt and our sound tech engineer, David Nakano, thank you for joining us. And we look forward next time taking you from Saturday to Sunday.